Hello, my lovelies. Welcome back to another episode of Did You Read the Book, a comparative podcast where movie buffs and bookworms come together to talk about stories and their adaptations that we love, hate, or love to hate. I am your host, Erin Palmer, and I am joined once again by the lovely Dan, and for the first time ever, Mr. Keith. Hello, sirs. Hello. Hi. Hello. How be you? Are we good? Doing good. Excited to be on my uh, third episode. I know. You're like senior I've got status. My, my debut episode here. Your day but I do all right. Your day but episode. Woo! I be good. Excited. This is a fun one. Um I have this has been on the list pretty much since the beginning of like concept, Dan. And you definitely were a big instigator of uh, <laughs> putting this on the list. So what are we talking about today, Mr. Dan? Well, uh, we are talking about the classic science fiction novel by Robert A. Heinlein, written in 1959. It is Starship Troopers. Bum, bum, bum. Yes, 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 yes. It's pretty interesting. And Kifas, what is the adaptation? Uh, adaptation of the same name, Starship Troopers, the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of like seven or something. How many are there? <laughs> I don't know. Is it five, six? I actually don't know. It, well, I don't if know. you if you want to get technical, Uh-oh. it is one of approximately three adaptations, but then the film series is like seven movies long. There you gotcha. go. You heard it here, folks. Dan, yeah. at it again. <laughs> it was, Starship Troopers was uh, directed by Paul. I'm going to butcher his name. Verhoeven. 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 Yeah. Uh, he's he's known for other films like uh, say RoboCop, Basic Instinct, Total Recall, and basically like, definitely... RoboCop. It's just Robocop. Yeah. It's this is like Robocop 2.0. <laughs> it Starship Troopers, you can definitely tell Robocop oh, is Yeah. yeah. Totally. It has totally. A similar vibe. Oh yeah. yeah. And so this was released in 1997 and uh I just wanted to note it had huge negative reviews at the beginning <laughs> due to the promotion of fascism and it was <gasps> there was accusations of both the director and the writer of being Nazis. <laughs> Killing Nazis. No, no, they were the Nazis. Killing the Nazis. (laughs) Killing the Nazis movies so they can't make money. Ooh. Plot twist, they were not. Uh, Okay. Uh, No, it actually tanked like opening week. Oh, no, but they weren't actually Nazis. Yeah. Or or killed. Or killed. (laughs) Important note. Which is, it is kind of, I mean, I think we'll probably get into it more when we're discussing the adaptation specifically, but it is oh, yeah. kind of hilarious how completely wrongheaded the initial reaction was. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Especially looking at the book. We'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. I've got um, just a little quick overview of the key main characters. So we got the main guy, Johnny Rico. He's played by Casper uh, Van Dien. Dine? Dean? Uh, his girlfriend, Carmen Ibanez, played by Denise Richards. Uh, what I call the lady-in-waiting, Dizzy Flores, played by <laughs> Diana Meyer. Yep. Uh, his psychic best friend, Carl Jenkins, played by Neil Patrick Harris. My favorite! <laughs> and then a bit later, we're introduced to the uh, military trainer for Johnny and Dizzy, Sergeant Zim, played by Clancy Brown. Woo-woo! Yeah. Some surprisingly big names in there for it being kind of a weird cult classic. It's Mm -hmm. great. I love it. All right. Let's get into it. You guys know the drill. Spoiler alerts. We're talking about this a lot. Lots of things will be spoiled. So if you have not read or seen it, pause, do those things, and then come back to us, please, and thank you. Uh, Before we get started, gentlemen, 
Prosaurus. Peradaptation. I'll pick on Dan first. Hmm. You know, for me, that one is really tricky because I actually mm-hmm. really like both of them for very different reasons. Oh, yeah? Um, I think because uh, most of my friends prefer the film, I'll be a contrarian and say I'm pro-source. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Be that way. It's, okay. It's for one specific reason, and that Ooh. reason is power armor. <laughs> oh, God, yes. I get it. I get <laughs> that it. That is a very good reason. That is a really good reason. All right, Keith, your thoughts? Uh, well, since we'll be talking about the book shortly, I won't get too in-depth on it, but I am You can give a little teaser. Pro-adaptation. Oh, yeah. A little, uh, little teaser as to why. I think it took me a year to read this book or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that with that stellar review. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I definitely... Um, I saw the film many, many times before knowing it was a book. So I definitely have a very nice little like spot in my heart for this very culty, classic-y kind of film. Um, the mm. book was surprisingly, I-, I didn't actually like the book as much as I liked the film, which was very rare for me. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of with Keith on this one. I, I prefer the adaptation. Uh, all right. Dan, I'm going to pick on you again, my friend. You get to be the lucky one to uh, give us a synopsis on the book, please. All right, here we go. Young Johnny Rico volunteers for the mobile infantry, swearing to fight to defend the Federation and earn his rights as a full citizen. Rigorously trained to become an elite, power-armored soldier, Johnny must now battle the greatest threat mankind has ever seen, the Arachnid Empire, an all-encompassing arthropod hive mind bent on dominating the galaxy. This is Robert Heinlein's iconic story of battle in the far future. This is Starship Troopers. I need like the empires. Dun 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 <laughs> dun dun dun. Oh wait, that's the wrong movie. Sorry guys. Uh, did you write that? Yes, yes. Of I course did. you did. I tell you what, Dan. Um, you have set a new bar. <laughs> Like ever since you did your first episode, I've had several several other people go, "Oh, I wrote mine too." And I'm like, "Ah, oh, set in trends. I love this. I'm a lazy ass and don't do any of that." So kudos for those who do. Well, you don't have to. You have your guests do it for you. I know, but sometimes it's just me and a guest. And with Dan, oh, okay. it was me and a guest. So when there's two of you, I'm like, I just kick back. I'm like, Yeah, you do all the hard work. Yes. But when it's just me and a guest, I have to I have to participate more. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> hard work (laughs) it's really hard dan uh that's a stellar intro absolutely love it um all right well we already know where dan stands on the book so tell us more mr dan what what do you like about it what stood out well i guess the main thing i would say is like i i get the criticisms of it from from a both a political and a writing perspective i think it's it is a great irony that this is one of the most influential science fiction, specifically military science fiction <laughs> right? novels. Like it kind of defined the genre of, you know, these heavily armored super soldiers in the far future caught mm. in an internal conflict with an incredible enemy, you know. And then 90% of the book is a civics class. Like, oh, yeah. Vast, vast majority of the pages are unironically Johnny sitting in class 
listening to lectures on how yep. society should work. Also, super, super military propaganda. But uh, yes, yes, <laughs> who's counting? Indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting artifact, in my opinion. Like, um, oh yeah, something that kind of one of the first things that really stuck out to me is you know, this is written in the late 1950s. It was mm-hmm. written by a man who was. I think, born in the 1920s. So some of his attitudes have not exactly uh, remained. (laughs) That was such a nice way of putting it, Dan. (laughs) Are are no longer super mainstream. Um, Like one one of the sections of the book I find ironically hilarious that i think heinlein 100 percent thought was serious was the whole idea that a lack of spanking led to the moral collapse of western society and you this know. horrible you know third world war and all that and if only if there had the been kids more had... spanking yeah, there wouldn't i mean we could have avoided world war three <laughs> that, that was like a solid like three pages in the book you're describing dan where it's like it's yes. with their children and we've got to, you know, beat them so they know what's right and they'll yeah. grow up better. And we know he, violence he, solves everything. He obviously. really loves the phrase paddling. He always calls yeah. it. Yeah, did, he like it be- did he like it because he likes to be like brutal on kids or does he like it because there's like a kink there that we're not aware of? This is my actual question. You know, Tell me, Internet, is this a thing? <laughs> See that? <laughs> no. It, if it, you're asking the internet, it is a thing. <laughs> but if you're asking about this specific person... Okay, fair point. Um, you know, I, I don't recall it coming up in any of his other novels, but <laughs> sci-fi fair. authors are kind of kind of famous for being a pretty kinky bunch. <laughs> like, if you've ever Dan, read Dune... Uh, if I have read Dune. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dan, you yourself are a sci-fi novelist. Are I'm going to plead the fifth on that. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Dan, you paint yourself into a corner. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So regarding the novel, I guess um, something I, you know, I, I really enjoyed it as far as it being this source of a whole bunch of tropes in science fiction. Like yeah, that for sure. He was not, uh, Heinlein was not actually the first guy to describe, you know, futuristic soldiers wearing this kind of advanced armor that helps them fight. I mm-hmm. think that technically goes to E.E. E. Doc Smith's Lensman series, has a description oh, okay. of these sort of space marine characters in a boarding mm. action on a starship wearing um, kind of armored spacesuits. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, this novel really is like, it did sort of define that. Yeah. And it's been a trope in sort of pop culture and science fiction ever since then. Uh, ditto for the enemy being this horde of Bugs. insectoid yeah these insect aliens yeah. that are kind of a hive mind and really unstoppable you know you see those critters i show mean that's up. just starcraft yeah it's, got the, it's, <laughs> yeah the terran versus yeah. the zerg yep, yeah. yep. we've got we've got starcraft halo warhammer forty thousand alien um aliens uh, okay it, so question uh what was it when did uh, have you seen the film them yes when did that come out? Was that before or after? Because that was like oh, what giant ants, right? I don't know. I, I think, think that before. came out before. Yeah. So, so maybe, I wonder. But I mean, it it was sci-fi, but it wasn't like it was like more of like a monster film, technically. Yeah, I guess. But it could... was giant bugs. So I'm wondering. I think that came out before because 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it, it was been. early 50s, maybe? I think so, yeah. Where's Sam when you need him? Sam can answer this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a very interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that, but you could definitely you could definitely make an argument for that. Yeah, um, I don't I feel like they're kind of different genres though, but I I I do see your point of like the this is a a lot of tropes were born out of this for sure. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. The power armor is um a very unique factor yes. i think for sure and I, and I think just sort of the whole the whole attitude um is that has of the book has been kind of transferred and copied to various um yeah you know media franchises and other novels uh yeah. probably a little later we'll get into there's a couple of there's a pair of novels that i think were written basically in reaction to starship troopers oh, okay a lot better well i mean it's not that hard because he wrote it in three weeks so (laughs) yeah so i was i i looked that up uh he was working (laughs) on a different book and he stopped to write starship troopers in under three weeks and it was in his reaction to the u.s suspending nuclear tests while the soviets still continued theirs right so then he has this manifesto saying that in all the history lessons how messed up they you know they they destroyed democracy with scientists and socialism and not and like whapping their kids and not right. uh, butt <laughs> yeah i was gonna off Ooh. of that uh my start to the book was much different than dan's kind of cool power armor nostalgia because <laughs> the inside cover of my book has donated by your marine corps association foundation in a giant full page sticker <laughs> so i just opened the book and i was just like wow they are starting <laughs> off strong it's, I mean, the tracks, it's... Telling you, propaganda, man. I think it's the only... I don't know if this is still true, but I remember it's like, it's the only science fiction novel that's on the reading list for, um, is it Annapolis? Or it oh, might really? Be one of, it might be one of the other military institutes, wow. but it's one of the only ones. And, hmm. you know, you can really see it in the book. Cause I can 90, see it. Well, and like 90% of it isn't just, it's not just like Heinlein ranting about how, you know, spanking saves the world, but also like a lot of it's just kind of a how-to of military rank structure. Like if you were, you know, a young kid in 1959 or whatever, and you were curious about the military, you would read this Right, this is where you start, this is how you go through, this is what you should avoid doing, the same, etc., yeah, and so you're going to the... be in pain from all the working out, but then you just have to push through it and eventually you're good at it. Right. Yeah, precisely. And and especially something that's really present in the book and I think less present in the adaptation is like Robert Heinlein's absolute love and admiration for sergeants. Yeah. Um that like they Yeah, feel... there's a lot of attention paid. <laughs> yeah, and they that they uh, they quite literally by the end of the book fill the role of sort of father figure absolutely i actually i have a fair number of friends who are in the military and a lot of them had similar like not necessarily to the same degree as heinlein but one of the main things like when i've been talking to them about you know the problems in the modern american military and all these all these different issues and they say you know the one good thing is we still have a really good nco core and that's good that's yeah there's something out of that a core element of a uh a core element of a military's kind of success is based around that. I can see that being a strong suit for them, though, because the kind of premise of the military is to break you down and build you back up. So you have to support one another in order to grow within the ranks. So it does make sense that they would, you know, the the whole hierarchy is a really important factor in relationship building and also just like 
rank choice essentially of like where you're at within the system. So I can see how those relationships would grow from something like that in that structure. Well, another thing he kind of does in the book is bringing in like religion and Bible quotes as like, yeah, they are part of the military. Like it's like military doctrine. beliefs. It's their, yeah, it's their doctrine. And eventually yeah. some of the chapters are headed by like Bible quotes in quotations yeah, that like aren't songs. actually Bible quotes. They're like from the future. But yeah, then they also do have Psalms like um, mm-hmm. two of the ones I wrote down that were along the lines of, you know, breaking them down, building back up, spanking the kid. Uh, <laughs> he headed one chapter with a, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Yep. And then another one um, further in the book, once it's around uh, Rico getting uh, whipped, it was yeah. train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yep. there is a, it is a very much a, a coming of age story. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's actually, I think that's in the, in the dedication. He talks about sergeants are the people who turn boys into men. Yeah. Well, and it's Rico <laughs> straight out of high school going yeah. directly into this. And he was a boy. Now he's becoming a man. He goes up through the military structure. He has setbacks. He has successes. He doubts himself. People, you know, talk him up and say, no, you're doing a good job. People but die. Do better. People yes. die. Yes. That is something I actually wanted to talk about because I think yeah. it's, it, I think it's something. So I, for this, um, I read the book a long time ago and then for this, I listened to an audiobook version. I um, did too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, That's so, my jam. So, yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> audiobooks. Um, so something that really stuck out to me that I had, didn't really remember from reading it before. So this book is quite sad. It is. Um, like, it's kind of yeah. gut-wrenching at times, for sure. Yeah, like, you know, something that I know it's it's 100% true that the book is very, very pro-military. It's very much oh, yeah. about, you know, military virtues and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And yet, like, <laughs> something I had completely forgotten is that in the first chapter, you know, they drop with uh, Sergeant Jalal, mm-hmm. and he keeps talking about the lieutenant despite the fact that lieutenant roshak is dead at the start of the story yeah <laughs> and that like and that it's you know later on like the circumstances around the lieutenant's death become more explicitly spelled out and like why yeah. they're grieving him so hard yeah but i just thought it was fascinating that like this book that has such a reputation for being like mindlessly you know go junk gung-ho ah, it's kill the enemy be, you know kill the enemy <laughs> has this like very somber undercurrent of how many characters are dying and how like yeah. no matter how dedicated like that that basically a fundamental aspect of being in military service is being comfortable not just with your own death but with other people's death yeah. and how there is no actual way to be comfortable with that Right. <laughs> I feel like if you are comfortable, it's you're a sociopath. <laughs> like, you know, sorry, Keith, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I got some of that, but I felt like just because it's in the book, you're all in Rico's head. He's the narrator. He's the main character, that sort of thing. But his demeanor always came across as nonchalant about very important things. And I think part of that is, like you were saying, Dan, you know, you have to be comfortable with it. You can't be in the military if you're like going to break down anytime any soldier dies so maybe in his head he's already pushed past that initial thing but it it was hard for me to connect to him as a character 
Yeah, that's mm. an, and I wonder. I wonder if part of this is just the narrator's performance. It stuck out in the audiobook I listened to. It, those moments mm. stuck out to me more. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, I had literally just the word on page, and I wrote <laughs> yeah, down so notes of like when the bugs blow up uh, Buenos Aires with a bug rock mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, like he it's he a spends half term. a sentence saying like, "Well, I guess my parents are dead now." <laughs> oh, and moving then, on. <laughs> yeah. Right, so it's so in the book, it's his. He doesn't know his parent, his uh, folks were there. He um, just knows that that Buenos Aires got hit. Yeah. Well, he no, he knows. said he his parents weren't there, but his mom was planning on going there on vacation, and his dad would never let her go on her own. So he right. assumes both his parents are there and dead. Right, but he finds that out later. Is that right? When, but when it, the inner the dialogue is what I'm talking about. It's mm. like when when Buenos Aires blows, he he doesn't know they're there. I agree. Right. And he gets okay, the letter okay. from his aunt, and it just kind of says like, it, it's he gets the letter from his aunt that just mentions his mom. Correct. And he assumes that she yes. would be, that she wouldn't go to Buenos Aires without his dad. Right. Whereas, you know, I guess we're not at the movie yet, but yeah. So that that's kind of it was like a half sentence or two sentences on that, and then we get like five pages of him sitting in a high school class being lectured about how everyone in our current timeline is stupid and idiots <laughs> yeah. and they yep. did everything wrong yeah yep no it is yeah. it is telling what Heinlein focuses on oh yes yeah. definitely um, like, he does not pussyfoot around his thoughts <laughs> yeah and it's it's very much like part part of it is just that's the nature of a lot of older science fiction yes you know is that like mm-hmm. on it, like Asimov and stuff they were they were idea guys, and they often wrote these things to explore mm-hmm. a concept as opposed yeah. to, like, it was pretty rare to have any level of psychological realism in a science fiction story. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that I think that is one of the biggest weaknesses of Starship Troopers as a book, is that mm-hmm. it's, like, it's 80% of a lecture on his reactions to current events. But then 20% is sweet, armored super soldiers it's fighting sweet. battles. It's less yeah. than 20%, Dan. <laughs> 4%. <laughs> it's interesting, though, that it starts out with them being airdropped. Like, mm. that's how the book starts. It has, like, a pretty yeah. crazy start. And then it kind of goes back and does the slow burn and then catches you back up, essentially. Right. It kind of does the, the record book. scratch. You're yeah. probably wondering how I got here. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how it starts. And I, I kind of I liked that. It was it's I feel like even though it is a older book, I feel like a lot of books written in more current times, I feel like that doesn't happen quite as often, especially in sci-fi. Usually it's like either centuries ago <laughs> or it's like centuries into the future and they kind of stay there and reference past stuff. But I I liked that kind of wraparound that they did where Basically, where you start the book is roughly where you end the book. Mm. Um, I do like that pattern that they did. It, it is an interesting arc to kind of be like, okay, h- how long does this, is this, is this going to take until we catch up to the future, essentially, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, um, it's a, I think that's called in media res. Um, oh, is it? I think, okay. I think that's the term. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, I think it's a it's a smart writing choice because if he just started it with the lectures he wants to get to, you'd lose no people would, immediately. Yeah, like, yeah it's way purely mm. chronological. Rico goes to his history one hundred and one class. You sit with him for a half Boring. hour. Boring. Yeah. yeah. No, you got to have something exciting and like, ooh, this is un- this is unlike anything I've read before. And now we'll go into the lectures. Right. You just have <laughs> to like, wait now another three hundred pages to get to the next action scene. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wrote down. So the first chapter, they're in that you know fight, yeah. and that's action. The big epic final battle of the book starts on page three fifteen, mm-hmm. and there's only three hundred and thirty one pages or something in the book. <laughs> so it, there's a gap of two hundred and eighty pages in the middle of Wait, history. How long, the, how long is the Clendathy drop? Because I know uh, that's another. I think that's it's just sequence, the... but it's oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there yeah. is that one in the middle too. Right, but it's yeah, pretty. But again, it's, it's the not actual very long. percentage yeah. of, of combat. But then there's also this... he describes a few drops as like, well, you know, it was a drop, and it's mm. three sentences. It happened. Let's get back to right. the studying. <laughs> back to the. I know what you kids are really here for. Yeah, learning. Cranky old man. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's interesting that he wrote both this and uh, another science fiction book called The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Oh, he did write that, yeah. didn't he? Oh, I totally forgot about that. Which which has like a similar but very distinct moral view of authority, you know, because it's yeah. basically about rebelling against an overreaching, like heavily centralized state. And this now that's about... about fascists. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, he was a complicated guy. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so I don't know. I'm, I'm fond of the book. I think it has a lot of interesting stuff. I do have to say Heinlein is least interested in what is, to me, the most interesting aspects of the story. Like the yeah. power armor. Well, power armor is one big part. And then the other part is like, I I understand the choice to make Johnny like... He is functionally apolitical mm-hmm. in the sense that, like, he's not really paying attention to any of the foreign policy stuff that's going on. He right. actually spells out a couple of times that he doesn't fully understand, you know, the exact dynamics between the arachnids, the humans, and the third alien species that they call the skinnies. Mm-hmm. And that they all have this, like, complex... Uh, interwoven sort of web of diplomacy and colonization. Yeah, he says at one point, like, about the skinnies, he's like, well, I guess they're on our side now, so we shouldn't shoot them. Yeah. Like, he's directed to shoot but miss. Yes, he's, uh, it's during the, it's like the, the at the start of the war, the skinnies are a subject empire of the arachnids, and that then uh... the humans do a raid on them that convinces them to switch sides. And that's why during that raid, they say... Gotcha prioritize property damage but not people yeah well it's like the skinnies are like a double agents right they haven't like officially told the bugs they've left or something because they gather information from them or is that just information they they have from already being with them right yeah that they're capable that's that's another interesting aspect of the novel is that like um i guess we can i might save most of this for when we do the comparison but oh yeah it's interesting to me that Johnny actually talks a lot about how they're willing to fight a war of extermination, but they actually kind of don't want to. Yeah. That, like yeah. part of the part of the purpose of trying to capture a brain bug at the end of the novel is that they think they can do a prisoner exchange with that. Mm-hmm. And also they just don't know how to communicate with the bugs at all. Like yeah. they have right. no idea how you ask a bug to surrender. When we can't yeah. talk, we use guns held to your <laughs> leader's head. Yeah, exactly. That seems to be efficient. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I have a quote I wanted to read kind of along those yeah. lines. Mm. Um, it's middle of the book, and uh, he was saying, we're learning just how efficient a total communism can be when used by a people actually adapted to it by evolution. 
the bug commissioners don't care any more about expending soldiers than we care about expending ammo. And I was comparing that to in that first battle sequence in the first chapter, Johnny describes the drop pods as like an old school belt fed machine gun, just shooting people at the planet. Mm, and so it's God. like beginning of the book, you're saying we're just soldiers. We go in there, we do our job and maybe we die. And then you're saying, well, the bugs don't even care about their people. <laughs> And yet, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, a, it's an interesting, uh, that's a really good point. Like, it's an interesting tension mm-hmm. because Johnny does spend a lot of time talking about how, like, rescue of rescue of prisoners is a really high priority Yeah, uh, for the Federation. Do they ever and, rescue like, anyone in the book? No, because no. they don't know where they're held. Oh, okay. um, that's what it but, was, yeah. But there is, there are repeated sequences of him, like, the, the whole thing with Dizzy, Dizzy is a man in the book. Um, but the whole thing with like Dizzy gets injured on the first drop, if I remember right. I believe uh, so, yes. He gets injured on the first drop, so Johnny and another guy have to ditch their objective to go and grab Dizzy to try and bring him back up. Right. And they both actually know that Dizzy is probably going to die, but yeah. they still take this extreme risk to get him, and then he dies on the way back up. Womp womp. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, but they it, saved him. Yeah, well, it is this, like, really interesting uh, contrast of, like, Johnny is completely, you know, he is part of this, like, expendable war machine where people are getting killed left and right. And mm-hmm. then he hates the, you know, well, actually, I don't know. My my impression of him in the book is that he's more afraid of the bugs than hates them. But Yeah, I would get that. Yeah, more more fear than anger. I yeah. think the, the movie's definitely more anger. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one thing I noticed, Dan, is like every group seems to dislike every other group. Like there's quotes of um, Rico's father describing federal service and saying it's like pointless because we're at peace. There's no need for it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like the MI saying like, you know, the chain of command doesn't tell us anything. And civilians think like their cousins on this planet that were taken over by the bugs, like they could send a letter to them or something and like how stupid they are for thinking that it's just like every group seems to just only know that group and willing to save that group you know even if they're about to die on the drop pod back up right it's very very like outside of that group it seems like there's not much care yeah yeah he does play up the whole thing about the uh inter-service rivalry too which is a hundred percent a real phenomenon oh totally oh yeah yeah like the the after he comes i think it's I don't know if it's after he comes back from Glendathu, but he comes back from, you know, maybe it's when the lieutenant gets killed. But he comes back and one of the Navy men is like, you know, you am I, you don't do any work. You go down there for 20 minutes and then you come up here and chill. And yeah. Right. Just yeah, like, we're just yeah, chilling on the dropship while you fly around. And yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, and then yeah, there's also some guys a get bunch lucky. of sexism in the book between men and women. <gasps> Wait, what? <laughs> well, in so, the 50s? Really? <laughs> I, I was shocked as well. But uh, <laughs> Johnny talking about wow. Carmen when Carmen first said she wants to join up and become a pilot and, you know, fly mm-hmm. a spacecraft. And he was like, uh, little Carmen was so ornamental that you just never thought about her being useful. <laughs> and this is Cute. him talking about his current girlfriend, long-term girlfriend, yeah. who he's joining the military to try and continue to be with. And he's like, yeah, but- she's just a pretty little thing. But but Keith, how does a woman fly a plane with her little woman hands and her little woman brain? It real hard. Well, how that's do? The thing though is, in in the book, he explicitly says that women are better pilots than men. 
Yeah, like he it's, said they it's, can it's, uh, withstand more G's and they have faster reaction. Yeah, it's it's this odd yeah, thing where it's like true. for nineteen it's fairly progressive. But for nowadays, for, not really. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's definitely, there's dated phrases for sure. Yeah. In there, well, and especially sexism. the, uh, like, you know, I, I get that. It, I think it's just a cultural, uh, there's been a cultural shift, but the lengthy passages of Johnny talking about how, how pretty he thinks women are. Yeah. <laughs> he's really yeah. into talking when about that. When he first that. goes on yeah, leave, right. he's like, ooh, look, I can All the pretty ladies. Yeah. Which is yeah. like, you know. I'm not saying. I, I mean, but it, I, pretty, I feel but... like that would be accurate for someone in the military. If you're in a unit or on a ship of all men, and then you come to port after eight months, that's something you would notice. I feel. Yeah, but I'm pretty true. sure their units are not all men, right? I thought it was mixed. Uh, mobile infantry is all male. In the, oh, in okay. the book, mobile yeah. infantry is all male. Navy okay. is mixed. I must be thinking of the movie. And actually, I think naval officers are mostly women. Gotcha. Yes. Well, yeah, then they go into uh, on the ships, like since the naval officers are a lot of women, there's a certain bulkhead that the MI aren't allowed to go past. And there's stationed guards to keep you away. And he got posted to that one time. And he was like, I just like I'm 10 feet closer than I've ever been to a woman. And I can almost smell them. And like I can hear them talking in the distance. Which is kind of, yeah. Thanks. That's gross and creepy. (laughs) (laughs) I I imagine him with a neck beard and a fedora at that point. Uh, for those who have seen up, I can smell you. Is the and I, I, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things. Again, I think it's I think a science fiction writer in 1959. He thought this was yep. a totally that's what the ladies want to hear. Sympathetic, you know. <laughs> they're like, of course, a boy would get real excited standing outside the door to my section. <laughs> yeah, getting the jitters. Oh my gosh. Well, and maybe yeah. it's because of who he's writing for. If he's writing for people that he wants to share this ideal with and that would re- reciprocate it and potentially join the military themselves or be in some sort of political activism to continue his manifesto ideas, you know, this seems like it might appeal to those young men. I was going to say, this is definitely a male gaze on this entire book, for yeah, well, sure. <laughs> well, especially it was, you know, it started it out as what we today would call a YA novel, you know, and I think he felt like he was talking to teenage oh, yeah. boys. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's definitely a lens on it. Yeah. But I, after all my negative commentary, I do agree with you, Dan, that like there are great sections of this book and great ideas that... You know, 50, 70 years later, we're still using them in books, movies, video games, tabletop games, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's true. Like, it's one it's one of those things where, you know, that's why I keep using the term iconic to describe. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. You know, like, for all of, for all of its faults, um, you know, as a story and then also because, yeah, the classroom sections are just flat out boring. <laughs> then, you, know. you don't like to be in a lecture what, like from a book's perspective it's what every new classroom section i think that's when i had to take a pause and then it was like a week later i'm like i should pick that book back up yeah, it's you know robert show don't tell man <laughs> yeah i know some people really are into that and i am you know hit or miss yeah. not when it comes to like i don't miss the lecture part of life so i don't need it in my books <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's it's also one of those things where, like, I think a lot of his his views are not as smart and exciting as he thinks they are. 
right you know like he he talks right. about this military dictatorship as like well I, okay i guess technically the term dictatorship is inaccurate but this limited franchise society you know he talks about it as if it's a new thing when mm-hmm. in fact it's like that's the entire history of like medieval western europe and the first caliphate you know? yep. <laughs> it's like yep totally there was a military elite they made all the decisions yep some hey sometimes it worked pretty well other times it ended in horrific horrific did wars. not go well yeah sometimes it was real bad uh yeah. yeah i i just kind of giggle that we're talking about how it's like oh well there's like these boring philosophical long waxing prose in the middle and then i think of like when star wars first came out it was so political heavy and so much like diplomacy stuff happening and there wasn't a lot of action sequences and it it's just so funny that something like that which is a very kind of similar it's just not from an educational perspective it's like political sphere but that is like you know everyone loves star wars mm. and i just think that's funny that it's like it's the same kind of thing but just a completely different setting but for some reason political like unrest is more interesting than like military background i don't i don't know maybe maybe just like people who are from military background would get more out of it i don't know yeah, well, yeah, I, I have heard high praise uh, from both critics and just people that have military experience that like these are very good books and very good movies and stuff like that. And they enjoy them and like the ideals and all that sort of stuff. So maybe it's that I've not served in the military that I, it yeah. doesn't hit home the same way for me. That, that you never might got be your it. power armor suit. <laughs> Darn. Well, <laughs> as soon as I found out they didn't have them for another 200 years, I decided I'm to out. postpone no, my uh, sign up. <laughs> For another two hundred years, good yes. luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, what you said about like, I think, I think, uh, what makes stories of political intrigue interesting tends to be if it is act- like political intrigue and philosophy, it has to be driven by the story, mm-hmm. um, and that in this story, you know, he wrote a science fiction novel because he wanted to lecture americans of the late 50s on remilitarizing you know he was he was afraid that the country was going soft and that the soviets were still you know these hardcore bunch of badasses uh, he, he wrote yeah. a 50 page like space sci-fi novel and crammed in 250 pages of lecture <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well and i think that's just you know and the, unfortunately that is not something that has completely left science fiction um, no, or fiction really. in general, um, mm-hmm. but it never, you know, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, there's this awful, this awful, wonderful Steven Seagal movie called <laughs> On Deadly Ground. That's yeah. an action <laughs> movie where he's a guy who works on an oil rig and stuff like that. But the movie ends after all these like gun battles and blowing things up with him giving a mm-hmm. like twenty minute lecture on environmentalism. <laughs> you yeah, know? it's just kind it's of... also like Planet of the Apes is another one that I like the originals. Like people see the the ones that were made today and they're like, oh, these are so awesome! I should go back and watch the originals. And like, man, talk about slow burn. So it's I just think it's like an era thing too because there's a lot of sci-fi like you you watch Alien and stuff like these classic films that were out of like fifties to the seventies really. Yeah, so it's just like that classic style of things are just more of a slow burn in the in that kind of film era, which is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like it for the most part. Um, again, topic is important. And it's like the military is technically political sphere and like political discord, but it's a very niche 
bracket of the political sphere. So I think that's maybe why it didn't resonate quite as much with me. Mm. But yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if other stories kind of kept it more broad, like say Star Wars is more, you know, quote unquote, good and evil and, you know, that sort of thing. Whereas this is very much, this is humans 200 years from now, you know, and it's military. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's something else that interests me. I guess we'll probably have to get to the adapt the adaptation eventually. Right? We can go whenever um, we like. <laughs> but uh, something I I was thinking about while I was reading this is uh, a, you know an example of very progressive for the late 1950s um, is that the MI is completely integrated, mm-hmm. um, and that like the you know it's it's kind of a reveal, but like Johnny is in fact a Filipino man. Uh, his first language is Tagalog, like all mm-hmm. these different things, and the, and that the uh, mobile infantry itself, like you can tell, especially from the last names that are present, um, yeah, is that it's yeah. just it's people from all over the world. It's humankind united, and it's love of kicking alien ass. Um, yeah, but uh, that you it's know, no longer was, us against them; it's us against us them. Capital you, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it reminded me quite a bit of Star Trek. Um, yeah, quite but, progressive yeah. for its time. Yeah, yeah. I will say that is very surprising coming out of a book like you know, pr- barely pre sixties. Um, that is very surprising. I did, I did appreciate that, especially since it actually has more of that representation in the book than the film, which was like 20, 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, very uh, surprising. So, yeah, so that is just an, I think it's just an interesting aspect. And you know, you know, you know Heinlein was doing that very deliberately, right? Like yes. that he was not, he wasn't writing this, despite the fact that there is some, uh, some uncomfortable parallels that can be drawn uh, with the alien species in the in yeah. the story, like yeah. what, um, like you know, that, that they're he, that subhuman, he, or yeah, well, that he directly, you know, he directly talks about the bugs as being communists, you know, <laughs> like what could he possibly um, mean, Dan? <laughs> although, again, it is it is interesting, like that that quote you said that he highlights, you know, where he says, "No, their system actually works perfectly for them." Like right, because they so dangerous. They adapted to it by evolution was the yeah. quote. No, and I mean that is again, it's one of these things where it's like I wish, I wish there was a sequel to Starship Troopers that was about the negotiations that end the war. See that <laughs> I would be totally for. That would be pretty cool, actually. So yeah, we'll 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 uh, we'll see, but um, yeah, like I just thought the whole idea of the bug psychology and like how they think and how difficult it is for a human to understand how they think, even though it is clear they are not mindless animals. Oh, yeah. Like, right, because they quote several times that it is a hive mind. Like, yeah. There is yeah. a brain bug, and a smart bug, or whatever. You know, when you're fighting a warrior, it's like fighting someone's pinky as opposed yeah. to a full being, which I think is yeah. really interesting. Fascinating and terrifying. <laughs> um, hive mind, kind of. Again, it always seems to be very interlaced with some sort of bug, arachnid, something or other species, because that is a pretty common thing you'll see in a lot of insect kind of worlds. But hive mind is like a genius science trope or sci- sci-fi trope, and it's also probably one of the most terrifying, to be honest. <laughs> and I love it. I love hate it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know so if you guys creepy. are hardcore Trekkies, but originally the Borg on Star Trek was yeah. insect oh, creatures. Yeah. 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 
Um, oh man, Julie should be here. Julie's super trekky. <laughs> well, the poor girl must like you know they're humans that are then implanted with technology and brainwashed into the hive mind. Da 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 da. da. It kind of reminds me of that. Mm. The spores that uh, infect ants and other bugs and like yeah. try to oh brain the zombie them. spores. Yeah, the zombie spores. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's that's uh, most of my thoughts on just the book. Sweet. End, you guys... Well, Keith, any final thoughts for you, or should we transition over? Um, I think we can transition over. I think I'm pretty good. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Keithus, yes. do you want to read a synopsis, please, please? Yeah. So my synopsis for the movie, uh, it's half written by someone else and half written by me, so I kind of mash it together. I was not quite as awesome as Dan. <laughs> but no one's as awesome as Dan. Well, that's true. Oh. <laughs> I know this is um, an audio medium, but I just made a funny expression. <laughs> yes, for our listeners at home, he made a cute little, like, cutesy face. Yeah, so Dan's was uh, very serious and military, and <laughs> I, I think mine might kind of touch a bit on that, but also go, you know, a little lighter, which mm-hmm. I think is fitting for the movie. Oh, yeah. So, in the 23rd century, Earth is governed by the United Citizen Federation military organization founded generations earlier by the veterans after democracy and social scientists brought civilization to the brink of ruin. Citizenship is gained only through federal service, which grants rights restricted from ordinary civilians, such as voting and breeding. Now, spacefaring, humans conduct colonization missions throughout the galaxy, bringing them into conflict with a race of highly evolved insectoid creatures dubbed arachnids, or simply the bugs. Despite the protests of his parents about the risk, teenage sports jock Johnny Rico enlists for federal service as a mobile infantryman to remain close to his girlfriend. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So very similar vibe as far as like the plot, but as we've kind of already alluded to, um, very different vibe that the movie kind of portrays. So I'm curious to know what your guys' thoughts are on the film side of things like what were your thoughts on that i personally thought the film spoke to me more just because for anyone that knows me i like to laugh i like to joke and so a movie (laughs) that gets across a serious point by laughing at it uh, i very much enjoy I fucking love that movie. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You say whatever you like, my friend. Oh, geez. Yes. Well, I think it, it's very Paul Verhoeven. Um, yeah. But like, I don't know. It it continues to shock me that it was so negatively received. Uh, right. When it first came out. Because I. It wasn't appreciated. Well, I, you know, I saw it when I was a kid and I didn't fully mm-hmm. get it, but I did understand that it was ironic. Like, yeah, you know, in in like, the opening sequence, you have people. I'm doing my part and giving a yeah. big thumbs my up part. to the screen. The kids, they're showing the kids the rifles, and they're like, "Ah, oh, look at them <laughs> with guns, so precious." Right? It's yeah. a, the whole thing is so cheesy, you know. Like, yeah, it, yeah. It, and then, but that then it undercuts all this like cheesy optimism with really over the top gore like people getting mutilated and ripped apart and the bugs yeah. are exploding and everybody's dying you know like, yeah so yeah it's, it's just... like there's so many limbs and like flying off and people getting cut in half and you know yeah. stabbing well, it... into people's brains to control them and yeah. right right yeah and it's a very you know it's a, extremely like i said it's extremely paul verhoven because he has that like yeah. dark violent sense of humor 
Oh, you yeah. know, like that's actually very present in, in like RoboCop. You know, there's the God, famous yeah. scene where the uh, <laughs> the corporate, uh, one of the like CEO guys gets killed by the robot. Oh, and he's, yeah, and he's just yeah, standing yeah. there like getting shot for five minutes. <laughs> for what stuff. seems like an eternity. Yeah, so and he's just getting turned into Swiss cheese. Right. It, yeah. And it's supposed to kind of, it goes from, you know, initially like really horrifying to being kind of weirdly funny. Absurd. Because it just <laughs> keeps going. And that You know, that's very yeah. present with, uh, with Starship Troopers. And then oh, yeah. also just not to get too far ahead of myself, but I felt like the cast is excellent because they all look like Barbie and Ken dolls. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They really do, especially Rico. Yeah, Casper oh He has the perfect, yeah. like, slightly sunken cheeks that lead into the prominent butt chin. Butt chin, yes. yeah. And, like, the perfect, like, Ken doll hair swoop that looks like it should be from the 50s. Yeah, I mean, they did a really good job with the aesthetic as far as, like, costuming and makeup and then, again, like, actor choice. They They did a very good job of making everybody look very dewy and on point yeah well and they're all 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 of those actors were featured on like shows like beverly hills 90210 like these mm-hmm. sort of teen soap opera you know basically yeah. stories about beautiful young people right yep yeah and so it's i think it's one of the big strengths of the movie is that it's using like Instead of making the face of fascism like, you know, the stormtroopers in Star Wars, right? They wear this really intimidating right, you know, yeah. armor and they all look like frowning skeletons. It's like, Barbie yeah. and Ken go to exterminate the enemies of the state. Yes, it is. It's like propaganda, but they put like a satirical spin on it, which that was what I loved the Mm -hmm. most is that there's definitely a satirical like it's dripping in satire, which I think I'm all about that. that. The like over the top gore and stuff made me laugh more than like right. cringe or turn away. it's so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. totally. Oh, yeah. Like, like I remember when we were screening it, you know, the, <laughs> the like ridiculous lack of self-preservation everyone has. Like the cameraman yeah. is filming a, a news reporter getting sliced apart and he keeps yeah. tracking it. Still filming. Though, like he's five feet away <laughs> to from the To the bitter bunk. end. <laughs> yeah, until he himself dies. Well, right. And yeah. the whole time the, the military is running away behind him. Yeah, and he just, just stands right. there with his video camera. In, <laughs> in case you needed to know what Paul Verhoeven thinks of the news media. <laughs> I know. It's pretty incredible. So he uses the news, like the news platform or the media like device to further the it's almost like a narrator so Mm. he he uses a lot of what looks to be like propaganda pre-filmed kind of videography around the war or around the military or what like any topics that they're talking about but a lot of it is actually like they're they're like this just in we're talking about this is brand new news that no one's heard yet but it looks like it was pre-staged and pre-planned like when when his areas gets blown up it's just such a fascinating style to to show it so glossy finish over something that's supposed to be news, not like a television show. It's, right. fa- it's it, fascinating. It gave me the feel of like I, as the audience member, am watching yeah. this movie. Like, right, but it's supposed to be Rico's news for playing everyone. Football that feels like part of the like me sitting on my couch, but like in mm. the Starship Trooper universe because then the transitions are like click here to learn more about the bugs right would you like to learn more yeah Yeah, it's fascinating so that's such a funny aspect of the film that like perfectly you know they predicted clickbait 
Yes. Right? And that's what that feels yeah. like. It feels like an ad. Yeah. Clicking down yeah, the rabbit the hole of, I just read this article or watched this show, so now I'm going to watch that one and then that one. And Yeah. Yeah, and that's what's so crazy is like it, it feels like advertising, but then you're like, wait a second, this is like premised as being their news channel, mm-hmm. and it feels like an ad the entire way through. Well, which from is my experience, that's what a news channel is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> spicy. Okay. Now we're Keith. getting spicy. Okay. <laughs> Yowza! Let's not go there today, friends. <laughs> yeah. So, don't get me started. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I I think. The cast is fantastic. Uh, really great yeah. score, too. Yeah, the really score good score. Good. You know, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting. It's one of these experiences I always have with movies where it's like there's a part of my conscious mind that's very aware of the movie's agenda, right? Like that you are supposed to be sitting there being, you know, if you actually get it, right? Like the movie is deeply anti-fascist. It's about how the Federation oh, yeah, is bad, it. how it treats, you know, the mobile infantry. They're completely expendable mm-hmm. and poorly led, you know. Um, and yet the framing devices, and in particular the score, like when they first go down to Clendathu, I always get really pumped up and excited. Yeah. <laughs> go military. Yay. Yeah. 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 Shoot yeah. them bugs. Kill, you know, kill some bugs. Yeah. Um, which, are, you know, I've had uh, some, like... Um, a long time ago, I watched a Soviet film called Ballad of a Soldier um, that Ooh. I think was either made during uh, the Second World War or like right after it. Um, but it's, okay. a, it's a propaganda film. It's quite good. Um, you know, it's about this young Russian man who like does a heroic deed in the middle of a battle. And so he gets given uh, permission to go home to his home village and see his mom. He has like a week to go there and then get back to the front. And it's the story wow. of his journey and how he keeps running into people who need his help and he always helps them, you know. And, hmm. of course, I am keenly aware that this guy was, you know, on the side of the angels but still fighting for Stalin's Russia. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's Context, like, man. So I'm like, yeah. But, yeah, Ooh. by the end of that movie, whenever I watch it, I'm like, for the glorious motherland. For the motherland. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, and I, it's crazy, and though. Drink vodka. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I always have that feeling with Starship Troopers too, of like, yep, yeah, yep, being very aware of how bad the Federation is. Well, I, like, yeah. I think it's one of the. Oh, sorry, continue. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, while still getting tricked, you know, or, or getting seduced by the idea, like by the glamorous sheen that the Federation yeah. has. Yeah, totally. I was going to say, I think my favorite transition is one of the times, like they're. They go down. They're shooting up the bugs. Their audience is yay, bug killing, and it goes to the, like the uh, the school children stepping on cockroaches, oh, yeah. and the teacher is just like maniacally <laughs> laughing and like holding her hands up in like claws, yay! like ah, 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 ah. like Which I yes, think it's funny because those are not those are actually bugs on our planet. Why are you killing yeah, those bugs? Right. <laughs> they didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> just just in case you didn't get what Verhoeven's talking bugs about. Bugs in disguise, <laughs> like. They're all cockroaches, all of them. Uh, yeah. Secretly, there's bugs all around us, and we must eradicate them. <laughs> Isn't that the premise for Men in Black? <laughs> well, no, yeah. they're saving them in Men in Black, aren't they? No, the bad guy's a bug. He's in an Edgar suit. Yeah, yeah he's in an Edgar suit. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> um, another yep. point of the movie that I really liked alongside the score and the casting was um, the use of CGI. 
Mm. It's or lack thereof. Yeah. Really. So there was a lot of yeah. like um, non CGI moments, and yeah, all the bugs were CGI, effects. but they didn't have it overlap a lot. So you don't mm-hmm. kind of see the guy get picked up by the green screen arm, and you you're told it's a bug. Like the um, they they kept it on the left side of the screen while the people were on the right. So it kind of still feels believable, yeah. even though this movie is now twenty whatever years old. Or they use practical effects. Yeah, they would. They would use, like you said, they would use, uh, you know, a practical. Like if a bug slashes somebody, its arm is a practical yeah. prop in the next. Yes, right. so that the actor is physically interacting with. Yes, mm-hmm. I think they did that. Helps the film a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know, I think just like it's just now that we're getting to a point where like really really expensive cgi can look pretty darn good yes Um, yeah but it's that uncanny valley like we're not quite there yet so you can still kind of pick things apart mm -hmm. especially if you start getting like close-ups and i think dan you were talking about how like picking the the texture that you're trying to create if it doesn't look quote-unquote realistic or if it's not supposed to look organic it's supposed to look off being in cg makes it seem more like embedded because oh your brain kind of can rationalize oh well it doesn't look organic it doesn't look real because it's not supposed to be there Mm -hmm. but if they try to make something that you know has fur or is supposed to look a certain way of things that we already know how they're supposed to look in that setting that's where we start to get really critical about what it looks like because we're like it doesn't look right because i know what it should look like if it actually existed but they did a really good job you say like, oh yeah, that doesn't look like a bear, but <laughs> right. you look right. at a arachnid, or and you're like, yeah. well, I've never seen one of those before in my life. You know, it's it's a bug, it's a space bug, it looks like a space bug. Which, speaking of which, the design work on the arachnids is fan are so yes. cool, like, like so cool. They're all I love the design and, and claws. Right. But then, well, I was nerding out about the sound design and sound production for them. It was wicked good mixing. Yeah, a lot of animal kind of like mashups of animal noises. I heard a lot of like pumas and lions and crazy noises, and I think owls and stuff in there, but really cool sound production it was yeah i really i got way more enjoyment out of the kind of bug factor in Mm. the film mostly because it's a much more visual medium so you can really see it in you know in action um than than i ever did with the bug Mm. but But, yeah like even their mouths it's just like oh so creepy top and bottom mandible claw that's open on the sides my graboids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I was going to say uh, regarding sound design, um, I thought they really captured. There's one of the bits of the book that stuck out to me is Johnny talks about the sound of the bugs moving sounds like frying bacon, and how that's yes. something that totally terrifies him. And I think yes. they really got that in the movie. Like they such got a that, crazy descriptor. The sound of I all love that. Chitin bashing off mm-hmm. of each other as they move. Yeah. Or like the they're all underground. Yeah. Like yeah. So good. Good very, stuff. Very, very cool. Um, and then also, you know, like, again, it's one of those, it's one of those not actually that subtle tells in the movie. The fact that the bug's eyes are really cute when you look at them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, which is true for most bugs. Like, <laughs> in 
in real life. <laughs> yeah, like the the whole thing where they've got you know when they've at one point there's a wounded arachnid who uh, one of the guys just blows apart. It's a, there's a cloaks up on its eye looking terrified. You know, and it's it's so sad. Wait a minute. I know. Are we the bad guys? Are we the bad guys? <laughs> well, and then the fact that they could take one of those bugs that you described as all angles and jaws and everything and screeching and make and, it soft and then like yeah. You can tell that it's sad as it's dying. Yeah. Like they, no, they did a very good job there. It's good design work. It's it's very clever. Uh, uh, the best worst part about their design was, my, in my opinion, the uh, <laughs> brain monster, or as I like to call it, the vagina monster, because, <laughs> oh my God, it looks straight up like genitalia, and I am not here well, for it. Well, the fact it. that it's it kind too of like big. pulsates too big. in a, yep. an odd yep. manner. Yep, right. yep, there's so many. Let's not go into detail because it's upsetting. It's also very moist. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, a classic. Giger has uh, a lot to answer for. <laughs> oh my God, Giger. Yeah, woof. I'm just, this is what we think of ladies. Um, ooh, man alive. It's something, I tell you. And then they start, uh, I mean, I think what really kind of drilled at home, sorry, that might have been a bad choice of words, <laughs> is when they capture they capture the brain monster and then they take it back to like a facility and they're showing it on the newsreel of like, we've captured the big monster. And then they're showing like scientists testing on it and they inject something into, into it and they orifice. censor it out and I'm like okay so the fact that you just censored it out now makes it look like you're like it's a gigantic porn film like it's so that's like my well, but it like, is I, on yeah. one of those like TV nope, news nope. flashes so yeah. it, it kind of goes more towards the satirical like over the top oh yeah like, yeah we, we, we. in case you weren't sure if it was genitalia before they censored it out so now all i can think of is just the, just vaginas and it's like what like i can't <laughs> well, we're talking about um how in those newsreel bits it's very telling what they do censor versus what they don't you know? yeah and i think there's i think it's very deliberate as far as how oh arbitrary totally it is. like they totally they deliberate yeah censor a cow getting eaten Right. They don't censor. But there's a... bodies in pieces right. all over the place. Right. right. Essentially, they they don't censor humans, but they do censor anything else. Yeah. And and that all the things yeah. they don't censor are to provoke an emotional reaction in the audience. Like you oh see yeah, the dead a dog, very visceral you know, response. Yeah. In the aftermath yeah. of the attack on Buenos Aires, and it's like those motherfucking arachnids. They killed. They the killed my dog. dog. <laughs> yeah. People, people see, they're gonna pay. People see cows as food, and arachnids are bad, but dogs and people—that's the heartstrings right there. Yep. Unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah, I, I think the style choice of a lot. I mean, the the entire film is very stylized to, to to invoke a certain emotion, in in a way that you would not expect. And again, that's the kind of the beauty of satire. I love me some satire. Yes, you're, you're um, laughing for an hour and a half, but you walk away going, "Hmm, maybe I should step on some cockroaches. <laughs> maybe I should join the military." It, yeah, it's very, very interesting. And I, I just giggled because pretty much all of like the tech suits and like everything that they wear is so um, RoboCop, like mm-hmm. the aesthetic for the entire thing. I mean, you look at the movie posters, even everything about it just screams like RoboCop. And I, I'm, I'm here it, for it. It reminds I me do, of um, I love it. the Simpsons and the Join the Navy episode <laughs> when they're talking. It's like there's 
liminal messaging, <laughs> subliminal messaging, and superliminal. They're like, what's superliminal? He just opens his window. Hey, you, join the Navy. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. I, w- I wasn't. That's funny you bring that up because I was just thinking about that the other day. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, well, regarding RoboCop and the technology, um, I think it's uh, all of the design work in the in the movie is great. Um, it's it is really good. It's solid. Amusing bit of trivia for all you <gasps> listeners out yes! there. Yes, I love me some trivia, uh, Dan. Those uh, suits of mobile infantry armor uh, were reused repeatedly in completely different series. Um, they were used really? as the suits of armor for like space uh, soldiers in a series of Power Rangers. Oh my God, really? And they were, <laughs> which, you know, hopefully your target audience for Power Rangers hasn't seen Starship Troopers yet, so they wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, uh, also, they were uh, repainted and used in the short-lived beloved cult classic TV series Firefly as the Oh armor. my God, seriously? They show up uh, <gasps> a couple of times. They are, they are the uniform oh, wow. of the Alliance's soldiers. So you see... Oh, oh my wow. God. Flashback at one point of uh, Captain Mal fighting a guy wearing that armor, and then uh, oh, that's so cool! I didn't know that. I have to go back and watch that. Yeah, now. no, you should. Uh, <laughs> I'll watch the one where they do the heist of a train. Um, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. They yeah. see a bunch of they see a bunch of troopers. Oh my god! And wearing that's crazy. Uh, mobile infantry, <gasps> which is kind of cool. Dan, that's so cool. <laughs> Good trivia, Dan. Yes. I love that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything like I'm trying to think of anything else besides comparison because there's a lot to compare. Yes. Well, uh, one more hoorah yeah. military moment in the movie was uh, before the censoring of the brain bug when they first pull it out of the hole and bring it up to the surface with all the military people gathered around. Uh, oh yeah. This, uh, <laughs> The psychic best friend walks up, puts his hand on the vagina. Neil Patrick Harris. And Blech. he and he goes, It's afraid. And then everyone like murmurs, It's afraid, and eventually they're just cheering, It's afraid! Yeah! One of the Blech. one of the greatest moments in cinematic history, in my opinion. Yeah. Like it is oh so Oh my god. Again, for me, it is so fantastic because when I was watching it for the first time and, you know, pretty much every time I watch it, when I'm in that <laughs> moment, I'm like, fuck yeah, the brain bugs are Yeah! <laughs> Our job is done. <laughs> you know, like, it oh sounds God. like this book and movie are doing its job. We're cheering for the soldiers. Yeah. Hurrah, oh, hurrah. my God. Um, that's, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a crazy scene. Neil Patrick Harris's character is... Well, oh, he's only I love in him it for so like much. three, four minutes of screen I time. I know he's like barely that. in well, it. Well, and I think again, it's a it's a very clever, deliberate casting of you know, cute baby face Neil Patrick Harris wearing a freaking yeah. SS officer uniform. He looks like, like a legit SS officer by the end of yeah, it yeah, because it, he gets promoted he and, as a yeah. fun guy with a ferret that he tricks to go try and eat a peanut off his mother's leg, and then <laughs> yeah, as you do, he you know goes off to war and shows up Goes again up as camp. like he's in full length like cl- black and gray straight cloak. up ss it yeah. looks like yeah. it looks like a, a, a something you'd see in hellboy like in the yeah. flashbacks yes. of when yes. they find hellboy yeah he yeah. does he does look totally. like one of the bad guys in a in a hellboy comic or movie when he has kind of a badass like a bad guy moment um before they find the brain bug like 
Yeah, where he's he has that little confrontation with Rico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean there's a I can't remember what the argument was over where they're they're like we lost men and there's like that's war yeah, it was something son, like, you know or something like that. Rico is concerned <laughs> okay. about his men and people and comrades and stuff and he's just like that that was a tactical decision. We we had to do that. Like that's all that yeah. matters. Like your sacrifice means we win the war and like it was like a very heartless conversation. Like we were friends. We talked about how funny ferrets were back <laughs> in the day. Uh yeah, is Interesting character choice. Well, also, um, actually, I was, right before I, he yeah. joins up, like the last time you see him before he's in his Nazi uniform, uh, he's pretty insulting to Rico. Mm-hmm. Like he he puts his test yeah. score of like a 33% oh, in yeah. math up on 34? the 34, sorry. 34. Uh, like a, a bit of a bully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he comes off with that air of good. superiority. Yeah. Well, he is Aryan, so. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it here first. Neil Patrick yeah. Harris is Aryan. <laughs> he, he is very blonde, that Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> I love his blue eyes. <laughs> oh, I don't think they're blue. No. But, um, oh, my God. Yeah, it's interesting character choice. And then, of course, there's the lovely Denise Richards, uh, who is, oh, man, she's something else. <laughs> that was like, so I, I did some digging because I was like, oh, I remember when she was in, like, the James Bond film, like, t- uh, what is it, tomorrow or... Mm. Diet. No, no, die another day. No, it's not die another day. I think it's tomorrow never dies. She's in. Um, I th- oh no, the world is not the world enough. is That's not enough. That's it. And so, um, oh my god, they were released the same year. They were both ninety seven. Oh, wow. So that was like her heyday, and I was like, oh my god, she's so little in that. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. She's I I like her, but at the same time, it's like her. She seems a little wooden in delivering certain things, mm. but then she's really animated in other ways. So it's like pick pick one, <laughs> Just like, pick one. Yeah, I I guess in the in the film, I felt like it worked for the character because again, she it did. Kind of looks it like was a, so goofy. Barbie, it kind of worked. Know, yeah, yeah. Like... And then eventually, she's on the in the cockpit with her new Ken doll. <laughs> yeah, with right. her new Ken doll. Yeah, okay. and that and that again, like he looks like the bad guy in one of those teen dramas. He does. You know? right. Well, because his hair is smarmy. a little too wet, and it's not in a upsweep; it's in like a downhang. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's sort <laughs> of... that's the that's the real reason. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's all pretty fun. And then uh, smarmy bastard. I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention Michael Ironside and Clancy Brown as the two authority yes. figures, both fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really, um, really good. You know. Clancy Brown is the sergeant, yeah, right? He's, he's sergeant career Zim. Sergeant Zim. Yeah, um, he is in <laughs> everything. Well, and he's the one that starts off the the gore in the beginning of the movie because one of the other uh, cadets right? is like, "Sir, why do we need to throw knives when we can just hit oh, a yeah. button and blow up the planet?" And he's like, "Put your hand against the wall," and he throws a knife from it. across the training field into his hand. He's like, "Now you can't push a button. <laughs> the enemy cannot push a oh, button. Oh no! If you disable, if his you hand, don't have a hand, <laughs> thank you, sir." Uh, no, he... Yeah, it's pretty genius. Right. Well, and practical effects again, like we commented yep. when we were watching it. Like you can see, he's holding his hand, which is very obviously fake. Right, but like it, it's but it dang, comes is it across great. better than if it was CGI back in 1997. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So so Clancy Brown is quite spectacular. One of my favorite actors. And then, oh, he's uh, amazing. Michael Ironside is also delightful as really Rachek really great slash the yeah. professor. 
I think, again, it's great having him giving all the lectures because he... That helps. One, he's got a fantastic <laughs> voice. And then two, he has such an aura of this kind of blunt, brutal militarism. Like he sort of embodies the yes. Federation itself. So you're yes, kind of he hearing the state make its argument when he's, you know, lecturing. Yeah, Rico. definitely. He has a very like, you can't handle the truth kind of vibe <laughs> yeah. to him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, yep. you know, he's, and I mean, Michael Ironside's name is Michael Ironside. You know, he's it's an not epic a, name. He's not a soft and cuddly guy. It's not Stephen <laughs> Pillowbottom. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Pillowbottom. Wait, what? <laughs> well known for his uh, series of. Can we Google him? Is that a real person? <laughs> let's, fi- let's find out. Famous bloody action <laughs> film star, Stephen Pillowbottom. Um, <laughs> there is a person named Stephen Pillowbottom. <laughs> See? Told you. Is he him. in a series of action films? I wish. Uh, no. I will. F- I will. Don't you worry, friends. We'll get back to you on that. Oh, no, it's not. There's just a whole bunch of things that came up that they think is what I want, but that's not what I want. <laughs> to be determined on if Wait, that's a real thing. Are you calling me a liar, Aaron? I might be. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there's some really solid actors. And again, I I don't know if they intended it to be satirical or if it just kind of turned out that way. Because sometimes people deliberately make it satirical. And then other times they're like, this is serious. And it ends up being that way, like satire when mm. it wasn't supposed to be. And I don't know, like, if they intended it to be that way. But Are you saying I for the movie in- overall or for certain actors? Yeah, or? For, for the film. Like, if that was well, the intent the whole time. I, mean, I, think, I think it definitely was. Yeah, I think. You think? I think well, Paul, I mean. Depending on how death of the author you want to get, Paul Verhoeven is very open about how the movie is about how fascism is bad. Okay. But uh, I was going to say, I've often heard this quote that I strongly believe is that good satire is still a good example of the thing it's satirizing, you know? Yes, so, yeah. like, Starship, absolutely. Yes. It still resonates. So, you know, yeah. Starship Blazing Saddles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, Starship Troopers is satirizing the sort of ultra-patriotic war film. Well, also being a mm-hmm. great ultra patriotic war film about yeah. banding together and defeating our enemies, you know. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is hard to to separate from the comparison, so we'll just jump right in. Right. But I think I can't remember if this is in the book or not, but they make a really big point in the film to say like if you join the military, you get citizenship or you get to like they they make a point of of calling that out and I don't remember if that's actually as highlighted so, in the book. So in the book if I recall correctly they call it the franchise and it is explicitly okay. just the right to vote as you have to do military okay. service to vote. Um that, okay. the, the movie implies more rights. There's a whole bunch of permits. Yeah, yeah because so they say the, like oh I want to have kids and this is the only way that I can do that is being a citizen and having the right permit and then other people like, uh, I want to go to college but I can't did great the shower scene. There's lots of tips while she's talking about <laughs> wanting to have kids. There's so many boobs it's, you guys. Yeah, so, so many boobs. Yeah, what do you guys think of that? <laughs> I mean, you know, not just trying to be salacious but like what do you guys think about the <laughs> the presence of nudity in the film? I don't know why it was there, but I am I here for either. it. <laughs> okay, well, just... it's we're in comparison now. It's it's very different to the book. The book is like even on the ship where there are men and women, they're in separate areas, and you can't go there. Right, right. Which, of right. course, again, it's kind of hilarious because you know, in the mil- our military is gender integrated now. <laughs> it's like they don't. Yeah. Have, right. You know, I think there are separate barracks, but it's not like oh. You can't go past both. There's, right. there's not the armed guards and barbed in. wire fences. <laughs> no. Anyways, Dan, you had something you were going to say? 
Oh, um, I was just going to, I was just going to say that, like, I, if I was to speculate, I would say that the movie, I feel like the point of the movie is about the seductive aspects of fascism and that it mm-hmm. actually does it kind of literally by having this yeah. cat, you know, obviously. Being naked people talking about well, it. Well, obviously, you know, it's a big budget film. So they're going to have, you know, they're going to cast movie stars who are generally speaking going to be good looking people, but that they very yep. deliberately cast not just people who are good looking, but who are kind of definitively good looking like that they're Mm -hmm. the way dizzy and neil patrick harris and uh casper van diem all those all those different actors you know the way they look is like this very archetypal type of beauty absolutely Um, but uh yeah so so i wonder if like part of it part of it is you know paul verhoeven is just a dirty dirty bird but then also <laughs> give me some nudity. <laughs> yeah. but I'm just sad Clancy it. Brown didn't strut through the shower scene. <laughs> yeah. Because we would have been blinded by his magnificence. <laughs> <laughs> Not his pale white butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that too. Um, but yeah. That there there is... were no manhoods shown. It was only the boobs. That's, and that's, that's true. They, well, they showed we boobs and then a ton of men butts. Yeah. Lots of booties. But no, Lots uh, of boobies. No full no frontal man for, bits. The, for the gents. That'll, that'll be in the <laughs> <Yeah>. reboot. <laughs> there you go. I demand equality of nudity, guys. <laughs> Everybody must see everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting choice. I could, I guess I could kind of argue that that scene is them being vulnerable because it's like, why did you join the military? And what better way to be literally vulnerable if you are butt naked in a room with a whole bunch of other butt naked well, people? And that question is very much like, why did you join the military and in this or this civilization like joining the military is becoming a citizen that can vote and you know it's so what is your core principle strip away everything else about you Mm -hmm. Mm. i I can see that yeah and i would i would contrast that within the in the book like i think uh johnny's father being skeptical of joining the military like it Mm -hmm. makes a fair amount of sense you know because yes they they have a very like the voter base is very limited you have to wonder how much political division there actually is in that culture so it's yeah, really more you point. like you doing service you either do it because you want to right like because mm-hmm. that's something that just appeals to you or right. it's an act of endorsement of the state yeah yeah either way interesting like representation in the book when rico first joins up there currently isn't an active war yes whereas in the movie right. it's ongoing it's already we need happening. more young people yeah. otherwise the bugs win that sort of thing mm-hmm. right yeah right it's you know it's it's an interesting thing that like i know heinlein later on kind of walked back he he pulled a jk rowling <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah he he when people talked to him about the series later on, he tried to claim that, well, in that universe, you can also just go into the civil service. So you can you can become a teacher and get the right to vote. Right. And it's one of those right. things you where it's it. like, if you want that society to be a little better, like, I get, you know, if if you want it to not be quite as fascist as it is, I get it. But right. I think in the in the text of the book... It's clear whenever people talk about service, they are talking about military service. Military mm-hmm. service. Um, which does not necessarily mean violence. Like, I remember it is something they talk about is if you, you know, if you were someone who had some sort of severe physical disability, you are still not denied the right to, to serve. Like, they will find something. Right, they just something. put you elsewhere. 
that lets mm-hmm. you uh, do service, even if it's not being shoved into a suit of power armor, you know. That's right. another Which thing. Is true movie for to the book. True no military. power armor in the movie. No. She's just power so mad about armor. that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it is. That goes over budget. Yeah, man. no. I think I think it was one of those things that would have been. It would have been yeah. harder to. I think Paul Verhoeven learned his. He learned his lesson on RoboCop. Yep. That also yep. would have made Firefly much different if you see them walking out in power armor. <laughs> it would have been doper. <laughs> God, it would have been so cool. Oh. But, uh, yep. But, but I think it. It tracks with Verhoeven's interpretation of that world yeah. better that, like, he really wants to emphasize the physical vulnerability of the the mobile infantry. And so yeah. having them, like, having them be physically so much smaller than their opponents, wearing armor that doesn't really do anything, you know, yeah. that it's like, it's just a slaughter on both sides, as opposed to, like, the aspirational aspects of the book of it being like, hell yeah, man, you're Iron Man. Like, even though they get killed all the time and Johnny makes a point about how, like, the armor protects you, but the bugs have weapons that go right through it. Right, that just Well, that was another thing in the book. The bugs have projectile weapons like the soldier class does. Yeah, they have Whereas in the movie, it's just streamy bug running at you. They had the bigger beetle things that, like, shot mortars into space, but... Beyond that, I think it was just claws. Yeah, they just come bugs up. Bugs being bugs. Well, and that's the whole thing of like, I, th- I think Verhoeven made a deliberate decision there and the production made a deliberate decision there as far as um, making it easier to understand the bugs as animals. Like it, it's easier yes. to project an animal nature when they don't them. have weapons. <laughs> yeah, if they don't, if they don't have technology or they don't have technology yeah, in the way right. we do versus the... The book bugs I actually find more more interesting but wouldn't serve that point as well if the whole thing is like, oh, it's actually very clear that they're as intelligent as we are. It's just the way their intelligence manifests is in a really alien right. manner that's really hard for us to fully grasp. Yeah, I think not having weaponry definitely makes it more animalistic mm-hmm. in, in like an actual visual sense as well as just like the structure of kind of the environment or the the society of the bugs in the film but yeah i agree with you dan i think that i kind of i i would definitely be more interested to learn about a bug society that actually has mechanics and weaponry and has what we would call human characteristics of military strategy Mm. but look like bugs i think that's much more terrifying because then you know that there's more intelligence involved rather than them just being big ass bugs okay i was gonna say another reason it could be that they were that type of bug um, is because this movie all started as a project called Bug Hunt at Outpost 7. And then they got Starship Troopers, the book, and they were thinking of doing stuff. And they're like, oh, there's so much overlap. Let's just throw them together. Yeah, right. It was a a rights thing. And and it's interesting that it, it was something that would have been a commentary on Starship Troopers regardless of if it was. Yes. Weirdly enough. Um, Yeah. Man, in a different universe, we could have had seven uh, seven movies of Bug out Hunt at Outpost 7. <laughs> yeah. so out bug post Hunt nine. at Outpost 7-1. Out bug yeah. Hunt at Outpost 7-2. 7.1. Yeah. yeah. That's not confusing. You know, and, that, and again, that's that's like a, a kind of interesting thing about... I think I think it's so fascinating as an adaptation of, a, of the book because it's a criticism of the book. Um, mm-hmm. And I just think that's really yeah. interesting. Um, you know, that it's like often adaptations are made out of ad, out of admiration for the source material 
And this one was more about criticizing it and saying it was insane. Poking at it. Yeah, because it was. It was kind of bonkers. Um, I did want to get your guys' thoughts on the like artistic choices of the character Desi being male in the book but female in the movie. And I'm curious how you guys felt about that decision. Well, so for me, I, I like the mobile infantry being gender integra- integrated. I think it's a good choice. Same. Again, because yeah. it's it's what our military is now, you know, mm-hmm. um, like it's one of those things that I don't actually, I don't really see it going away except under, you know, very specific cultural um, circumstances. So mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's a nice ch- touch to have, you know, a lot, a large number of the soldiers are women. And then mm-hmm. as far as the intention behind it, I would say, again, it's part of the whole idea of like seductive fascism and kind of over-emphasizing, or I would just say emphasizing the idea that the protagonists are like, they're the heroes of a teen romance drama that Mm -hmm. happen to be going to war for this authoritarian state. And that, you know, seeing like, Oh, Dizzy, she's really in love with Johnny, but Johnny's in Making love Google with Carmen. Eyes. What's going to happen? I hope they all wind up with the right person. And then, you know, in the background, people are getting sliced to bits and blown up, and there's all horrible business going on. Um, but the pretty but don't people worry, make they it doink. through. Yeah, the pretty people yeah. make it through until it's dramatically appropriate for them to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is... I- that kind of romance factor that they put into the mix was like, really, guys? Well, I kind of Which felt like it was Hollywood. more just pandering to production or the U.S. Mm. Yeah. audience kind of thing where, okay, yeah, well, totally. he's not currently with his girlfriend and eventually they break up. Now he needs a new girl. He needs a new, need a new purpose new to continue fighting. She waited for him. She was there along. Well, that's why yeah. in my, my synopsis, I called her the lady in waiting. <laughs> she is the lady in waiting. She makes the sad, sad boo-boo eyes at him all through the film, and then they doink, and then, and then she, she, and she dies. Yeah. And it has yeah. uh, Ironside's approval, because he goes to get Rico, and he's like, oh, okay, yeah. you guys get Make five that more 20. minutes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, well, yeah. I, again, I think it's one of those, it's, you know, the undercurrent of the movie, right? That like, uh, so at the end, Carmen and Johnny have both broken up, found new lovers, mm-hmm. and then their new lovers have gotten killed. And it seems like the two of them are going to get together, but at the end, they're kind of embittered and messed up. yeah i did appreciate that they didn't get them back together it's like okay so your your significant others just died horrific deaths but don't worry you've got each other and then you guys like i'm glad they didn't end that that way they eventually would after the film or do you think it's implied that they're like they look at each other they think about it they go nah well i think it's i think it's deliberately set up well also could tipped as being like something that wouldn't actually work and would be just kind of mm-hmm. awful you they know? set it up yeah. for starship troopers too is what they were doing yeah exactly through seven but yeah and you know similar uh doing you know contrasts between the book and the film like mm-hmm. at the end of the novel johnny is still you know completely gung-ho about being in the military he's serving alongside his mm-hmm. father now he's become an officer right yeah, he went still- career yeah, yeah, he's going mm-hmm. to be, you know, he's going to be in the infantry till he dies, most likely. But that there is still an aspect of, like, sadness and also utter, unremitting terror 
inside of Johnny. Like there's there's a reason yeah. the book starts with him talking about getting the shakes before a drop because he's scared. And the book ends yeah. with him talking about how he still gets the shakes before he goes into battle because he knows yeah. how bad it can get. Um, yeah. Which is an interesting contrast with the end of the movie. I feel like it's Johnny so, is a psycho. Like, woo! <laughs> like, yeah. He's run in, shoot stuff, jump on the bug's back, shoot a hole in it to drop a grenade in, jump off and say, woo, go military. Yeah, well, well, I, I would say like in the very last scene, he looks he looks like Rajak. Like he looks very hardened and like cold hearted. Yeah. You know, and of course. Which is kind of realistic for that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, well, and he's. He's leading children into battle now. <laughs> I know. They look like they're 12 and they're like fresh recruits that are straight out of high school. So they're like 18. If well, that. I think like, the mm. I think what the movie's trying to imply is so many people have gotten killed that they've lowered the recruiting age. You know? That's my <laughs> like, guess. They look like they were yeah. 12. Well, and that's one thing is like in the book, there actually is that huge development from fresh face recruit to leading people and being an officer by the end. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the mm-hmm. in the movie, it's we went down and fought one fight, and now I'm leading children. Yeah, because everybody else who was leading has died. Right. It's kind of that. That's more of the the like, oh well, everyone else is dead. So hey, you're command now. Woo! <laughs> you didn't earn it. It's just because there's no one else yeah. around. Yeah, the field promotion. <laughs> I think it would have yeah, been funny exactly. if all the kids that were stomping on cockroaches earlier were the ones in the <laughs> helmets holding the guns. There wasn't enough time for that. <laughs> it's been like, what, four weeks? That's for part three. Yeah. Yeah, that's part three. <laughs> part three. Um, the cockroach I... stompers. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that something that I did enjoy about the film that wasn't really done in the book, um, there's a lot more world building outside of the military. And you get to see that, especially with like Denise Richards' character, where she becomes a pilot. Yes. And you get to see what her branch of the military looks like in her training and how it kind of crosses over with Rico. But I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that it, it made a richer world, I think, in a way that wasn't like, this is too much. Why did you go so far, Scope? I really liked how they fleshed out a lot more than just this is the military. This is just Rico. We're just following him and everything that he does. And I well, and I not even everything that. he does because oftentimes he says, "I'm not going to describe that." It was, you know, the usual. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I like that they elaborated on his experience on top of threading it with Neil Patrick Harris and Denise Richards and like all these things around them that is all happening simultaneously. To help kind of bring you to the final showdown at the end, like I, I enjoyed. Yeah, that. there was a there was a very nice aesthetic uh, contrast between the mobile infantry training versus the navy's training. You know mm-hmm. that like yeah. all the naval cadets wear really cool uniforms and like everything's very technical mm-hmm. and very clean. Versus in the yeah. mobile infantry, they're getting beat up by it's Clancy just a Brown. Shit show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very crude. Um, well, and that was a know. good scene yeah. when they first show up in the. The one unnamed recruit is like, I could take you, Sergeant Zim. And he just throws him to the ground instantly and breaks the recruit's hand. Breaks, breaks his, his arm. He goes like, medic. Yeah. And then uh, Dizzy comes up and says like, you know, I'm being transferred. He's like, you specifically wanted to transfer here? And she was like, yeah. And he was like, that's prove my yourself. Bow is. And she actually went toe to toe for a second. And yeah, then no, that, he took her out. I was going to say, that's a cool thing about, like, that is something I really like about Dizzy as a character. She is a fucking badass. Like, yeah, definitely. Badass. Like, and really not that hard on the eyes, I tell you. That too. Um, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I do appreciate a, a nice looking lady. 
Yeah, I, I think my my best uh, interpretation of uh, the difference between the two branches is looking at like American Bake Off shows versus the Eng- the British Bake Off show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One's like really zen. You're like, oh, this is so nice and so clean cut. And the other's like, do it faster. Otherwise, we're going to kill your children. Like that. I think that's kind of my vibe. five minutes to make an omelet out of bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Secret ingredient, yeah, more bugs. Well, and I, and I think it really it tracks for that world really well as far as like, yes. look, if you're in the infantry, you have to be trained to be aggressive, you know. Right. Versus because you will die otherwise. The fleet, like you might die right, anyway. Yeah, you're probably gonna die anyway. Versus yeah. like the fleet yeah. has to be it, the first thing they need to know is that your technical skills are good. You right. Know? You're you're yeah. kind of the brains, the the yeah, you're not the necessarily brains. strategy, but like you know planning. Yeah. And like you mm-hmm. know, how are we getting in? How are we getting out? How are we dodging the asteroid? How are we avoiding you know the bug mortars? All that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the MI is just I'm on the ground. I'm shooting bugs. <laughs> I shoot bugs. I shoot things. Well, and I think that it's interesting, too, that they, again, this is around kind of the world build out in the film, is that you can also see there's a little bit of elitism in the way that the roles are kind of predetermined because they really make that big focus on that test they take. Yes. And then Rico's scores versus everybody else's scores. And so he's really only qualified to be infantry because of his test scores and whereas like neil patrick harris and Judy richard's characters got really good scores so they're upper kind of echelon of the system because of those test scores so again it's both you can see in the movie i think yeah yeah but because you get to see what their world kind of looks like outside of the infantry you can really tell like oh well this just kind of furthers that hierarchy and that kind of derby bonkers I'm like well that's realistic <laughs> <laughs> great <laughs> the rich get richer very, very the poor cool. get poorer yeah weird how that works out uh yeah so and it didn't really necessarily have anything to do with rich right because yeah it was Johnny more is supposed just to be a... their education right yeah which could be hand in hand with money but they didn't go into the the money aspect of it as much in the film as much as it just like the education yeah aspect but yeah well and fascinating right, the marine the uh, freudian slip <laughs> i called the mobile what? infantry the marines um, the mobile infantry is is expendable and the fleet isn't right <laughs> like, right exactly so they're willing to put more money more attention more detail into the um not not the infantry but the yeah other the, the fleet that, which yeah. is a which is fleet, definitely a, yeah. a contrast with the book like um heinlein said I think it was in the afterword of my old edition, he talked a lot about how the book is supposed to be a love song to the infantry, like in real life, you know? Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's a reason, uh, we didn't really talk about this, but um, the ship that Johnny's on is called the Roger Young. And oh, right, yeah. he was, a, you know, he was an American, I think he was World War One, or was he World War Two? But the long and short was that he was, I think he was a Medal of Honor recipient, died in combat, the main thing is that physically he was a man completely unqualified to serve in the military. Like he was mm-hmm. short, he was scrawny, he had, you know, like asthma, he had really thick glasses, but he was completely ferocious and fearless when he was actually in the, you know, in the mud. And uh, 
Mm-hmm. And that that's something that... His years of service were 39 to 40. There we go. Yeah, that, so that was Heinlein. Roger Young was... Uh, um, no, 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 that's Roger Oh, no, Young. yeah, he died in he 43. Was, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, so 1939 to 1943 was his years of service, and he got the Medal of Honor and the Purple right. Heart. Yeah, but yeah, he said it <laughs> it's was wild. Uh, he single-handedly attacking and destroying an enemy machine gun pillbox, and even after he was shot multiple times, he continued to crawl forward and took it out all on his own. And uh, yeah, yeah, and so like the That's you know amazing. Heinlein talked about like how I think he was partly reacting to shifts in science fiction writing at the time too. Um, mm-hmm. Because of the influence of the atomic bomb on the fiction, yeah, uh, is that like a lot of you know you would have an interstellar conflict and it is somehow solved by one side or the other acquiring some sort of crazy super weapon that resolves everything, yeah. And so he kind, yeah. I think he kind of wanted to write a story that was about the fate of nations being decided by people's personal courage, yeah. And it is a direct contrast with the. With the film, because obviously the film's trying to do the opposite of romanticize this idea. Completely um, opposite, yeah. But that, like, yeah. the infantry is, you know, extremely vulnerable versus the book's powered armor. Like, they, there's a whole thing where the sergeant is, you know, talking to them and he's saying, You're not worth 10 cents, but that suit is, you know, 80,000 man hours. It's the right. Most, so bring it back. You, you know, like, yeah, don't mess with it. You know, <laughs> don't lose and of it. Course, that's a very military way of putting it. But when you stop and think about it, it's like, oh, this is, for all its faults as a society, it is a society that values its soldiers' lives, even if they're still expendable. Yeah. Like they do invest in making them effective and protected. Um, well, I forget or at least the exact to. quote, but there is a bit in the book where. Um, comparing when you would drop an h-bomb on a planet and destroy it versus like going in and just you know taking out a key location or person Mm -hmm. he they Mm. he likened it to um would you paddle a baby with an axe i think was the quote (laughs) (laughs) and and the what a statement the the student is like uh no i wouldn't he's like yeah so like there's times where you got to use an axe and there's times where you don't (laughs) use an axe you just use a regular paddle you just spank those sexy sexy arachnids (laughs) (laughs) no it's paddle back again with the paddle he's just dang (laughs) i guess that's our go-to uh word choice of the and day paddle. Paddle. this episode say it over brought over to you by the letter weird. p and the word paddle paddle, P- paddle. <laughs> yeah i never realized how much he used that word until you pointed yeah. that out yeah, and i'm like oh one, yeah one <laughs> i see it one now I, i've got words. like a little notebook that i was writing quotes in and i after dan said that i flipped through it and i'm like a third of my quotes paddle? have paddle in it paddle. Paddle. <laughs> We just got to give the arachnids a good paddling. No, it's like, uh, a, you know. I was, it's what they need. I think I was reading a book about the Civil War and it had some different quotes from Civil War generals. And they kept saying, we are going to lick those rebels. We're going to lick them and lick them hard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> We're going to find God. the holes they're hiding in. <laughs> we plunge our tongues in and right lick. Oh, I'm upset. Well, that does relate back to Starship Troopers, the movie, when they find the vagina monster. Oh, no. No one's licking. No. (laughs) Upset. Upset. I tell you what. I like, I want to post photos for people who haven't seen it, but at the same time, I don't. I don't want to post it because it's disturbing. What do you have to Google to find that? Exactly. And I don't want to find out. (laughs) Just Google Starship Troopers movie brain bug image 
I'm just I'm you know what what is it rule what is it rule 36 I don't want to I don't want to find uh, out about the rule 34 if it exists there is a 34 I was like not 34 not not 36 34 yeah I was like I don't want to find yeah. out what uh what what happens if I google that to be honest with you <laughs> you don't want that in your search history <laughs> you know weirdly enough no you don't um, want google ads based on that I don't think there will be any but I know there's other ads that <laughs> I don't want to see. Um, but yeah, uh, for those who haven't seen the film and are are just dying to see what that uh, brain monster looks like, it's at the very end of the film. So just fast forward and watch that and feel like you have to take a shower after. It's No, you can't something. fast forward through the film. You won't have the context as to why man is why so proud that they found the vagina <laughs> monster. Monster. And God, that'd be great. A Freudian analysis of Starship Troopers. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. All these God. little soldiers they come don't... exploding out of the dropships and try to find their way down <laughs> then into all these the crevices and explode out of the tunnels. <laughs> there's a lot of... There's a lot of I was just very happy they didn't kill the brain bug by, like, inserting some rod-shaped <laughs> explosive. But they still did there insert the, the, stuff yeah, into it at the for end. Science. Like they didn't for science. Mm. Woof. Uh, yeah, it's it's truly man was curious, else, I tell so they had to probe it. Oh God, lovely. Um, well, on that note, <laughs> don't make that the last line. <laughs> we're done. No, I'm kidding. Any any other thoughts about the things that were in the film versus the book that you liked, disliked, thought were different? Uh-huh. I can watch the film in one sitting. I cannot read the book in one sitting, <laughs> as we have discovered. You know, yeah, like I, I think I think they're really interesting companion pieces to each other. Um, yes, and I think it is an interesting part of sort of cultural history that we can have these things, these works of uh, fiction and art that have tremendous influence, um, and that, but that then criticism of them can take on its own unique characteristics as a piece of art like i don't you don't have to read starship troopers to appreciate watching starship troopers and you don't have to watch starship troopers to appreciate and criticize the uh, book i would argue (laughs) with that i think having seen the film helped me appreciate the book more had i read the book I don't know. I'm like, this is boring, and I would never have watched the movie. I'm not going to lie. If you thought it was um, going to be Because I would have expected it. Civics lesson. Yeah, no. if I expected it to be like the book, I'm like, this is boring. Mm. Like, how are they going to turn this into a film? For how much I trash talk um, the book, I think, like, besides some of the history lesson flashbacks that kind of got old, like, you don't need 10 of those. Like, it was a very well-written book that shows Johnny Rico's character arc. Well, <laughs> for for describing Johnny Rico in the military, going from high school, you know, becoming a cadet, uh, bettering mm-hmm. himself, his progression, his downfalls, like it does a good job of telling his story. And the power armor mm-hmm. is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's we're back to the power armor. That's the take home for today. If you have power armor, Dan um, is there. I will always, <laughs> I will always be curious. <laughs> So, Dan, I'm working on a 1950s opera, and I was thinking of putting the side character in power armor. <laughs> Look. Will you play him I'm in really, the stage I'm adaptation? I'm really excited to, uh, to do Fallout the musical. And, you know. Oh, my God, yes. Fallout the musical. Oh, oh my God. I'd go see that. Um, yeah, I think that for me, the... Yeah, the book, it is a good coming-of-age story, but my issue with it is that I am 
I have issues with being hoorah to the military about everything's gung-ho. We want everything to be militarized, blah, blah, blah. It's like throw all our money at them. Like I have issues hmm. with that. Um, so that kind of like stuck to me a little bit more of like I just can't really appreciate all of this because I know how gung-ho he is about the military and how support, like how much propaganda and support the book really was meant to be, which kind of tainted it a little bit. Yeah, well, it is, it is very much a lecture about his beliefs. You know, yeah, and... which I'm not super aligned with. So, uh, yeah, so that was that was something for me. I was like, wow, this is so different than the movie, um, where I thought it was going to be something kind of like a goof 'em up kind of military book. And I was like, this is actually really quite like it's not a, a big book, but it's yeah. dense. Like, there's it, a lot in dry. there. Yeah, and it yeah. is pretty dry, and it is really it's, gung-ho you left your bread out for like a support. week, and you don't have any butter, and you're just trying <laughs> to get it down. Without water, you got this. Maybe um, we'd have yeah. butter so if I... we had spanked more children. <laughs> paddled. <laughs> yeah, paddled. Paddled! <laughs> Back in my day, we were paddled before we had butter. Oh, well, my I, I got God. paddled, then I had paddled. to get the butter paddle and paddle the butter onto the bread. That way it was There palatable. actually is a butter paddle. That's how, isn't it about, butter paddle, isn't think, that part of the churn uh, process? You churn using the paddle? I don't the know. The butter paddle? I've never done Uh-oh. it. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's the problem. Same That's ways. what's going to lead to World War Three. Not enough butter and paddling. We've never seen butter paddles. <laughs> I've also never paddled a baby with an axe, though. Well, good. That's Thank why we God. have the mobile infantry. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> uh, well, do we want to get into the... The closer? The closer? Because I have a yeah, couple. Yeah, I think, I think we have all... How we've said all of our thoughts. So if you don't have any more final thoughts, we'll... Uh, We'll close this chapter, my friends. Oh, I liked the psychic dogs. Do that was something that wasn't present. <gasps> the psychic the... <laughs> dogs in the book, yes. I, oh my I, god, I, I totally forgot that about it that. Would work in live action with, especially yeah. with the, the tech of the time. Oh, I just thought it was such an odd and like fascinating idea. It's bizarre to have. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who haven't read the book, there is a a scout corps of psychic canines. They have these genetically engineered telepathic dogs that work with their handlers as scouts and they they're just sort of a minor feature of the background of the book but they like mentally sync with their owners essentially and if one of the other die like if the owner dies the dog basically has to be put down because it gets so emotionally distraught of not being with their person right. that's what yeah. i was going to bring up like and it's two like, pages yeah and that was the most emotion i felt in either the book or the <laughs> yes, movie for any i of the actually characters. got upset yeah, no, well, i totally I, forgot again, about like, that that's yeah. my big defense of the book is like I think the book is actually extremely sad when you're paying attention to details. Like yes, that. there are <laughs> definitely some things in the book I was like, damn, um, um, when it wasn't droning on, but um, <laughs> it wasn't about the paddle. <laughs> yes, yes, very sad about the dogs. Now we just need paddle. Dwight. Yes, but tell me more about the paddle. We just need Dwight D. Eisenhower to paddle the Russians out of their fascist <laughs> communist ways. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I totally forgot about that, Dan. That was actually really heart-wrenching but i also am like very biased about like anything that's tragic oh, with yeah. animals i'm like stop it my yeah, heart no, no, no. like I, I, can't, I can't take it the, and frankly it's <laughs> something i'm kind of glad they didn't have in the movie because i would just like be i don't think i would have wanted to see that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't think i want to see that does go back to rico's nonchalantness though because like he describes it of like matter of fact like well of course he's got to get put, get put down 
what he's mentally linked to is because gone. Because it was well, it's, well they, so it's he well, talks it's about humane it. to do it. It's a it's yeah. like a mercy because the the guys get institutionalized mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah. Yes, they go nuts, and the dogs have to be put down because you can't institutionalize a dog in the same right. class. Like well, they also talked about yeah along those lines capital punishment and like how the only mm. good way is to kill them because like there's two options. One, he can be he can't be cured, so you got to kill him. You got to execute him. Or two, he can be cured, but once he's cured, he's going to realize what he's done and have to commit suicide because that's what a sane person would do. Mm. And then also with option two, there's the chance for him to escape before he's cured. And then he'll just kill more. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some interesting world building in the book that you get little tastes of it because so much of the focus is on Rico and his path from manhood, from being a child to manhood. But they pepper a lot of that kind of world building stuff in there and you're like that's really cool i wish you'd talk more about that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah no, it's, again like i said yeah that's their history flashback tell me about the dogs yeah i want to learn about i want to know about the dogs psychic pe- what's going on with that you know like, um, <laughs> i think they did a little homage to the psychic dogs with the ferret, yeah though, yeah i think the they were they were sort of playing with that but they decided not to make it a, and i get you know i get i, understand, I yeah. get that you've only got so much budget and you know you don't want to have a whole bunch of dogs that are acting like they're talking, but they're just staring at you while they overlay voice on it. Yeah. You don't want to do that. <laughs> Timmy fell yeah. down the well for part two. Yeah. <laughs> Carmen fell down the well. She found the brain bug. Boy. <laughs> Let's go get her. What? Let's go. Which, that's how yeah. they found the yeah. brain bug. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, God. Oh, the brain bug. I can't. Well, any other final, final <laughs> thoughts? That was a great one, Dan. Uh, no, I think I, I think I got everything out. I think that's a good note to end on those <laughs> yeah. psychic dogs. Much, and the, much better the tragedy than, uh, that is their lives. The sexy, a nice sexy happy upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all died. The yeah. end. <laughs> all right, my friends. Well, we did it. Yay! Yay! Thank you so much. And before we sign off, um, what are we doing? What's happening in your world? Tell me everything, and I'll pick on Keith first, actually. Well, so I think I got two things. One is what I'm currently reading and okay. watching, which is uh, Shawshank yeah. Redemption. Hmm. So hey, as a little sneak right. preview, I'll be back on this show to talk about Clancy Brown some more at some point. Oh, ho, ho. Hey. And then the other thing of, uh, because Power Armor, I got to talk about it. <laughs> I uh, just started playing Warhammer 40k Dark Tide. Oh. Hey. And it's kind of like Left for Dead, but you're... The the humans fighting the corrupted chaos people and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So you get all the cool. like. You don't get power armor, but there's power armor people, and you get all the right, cool you have power to be on armor the receiving weapons. end, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I don't have a computer that can run it, but I'm I'm really excited about eventually <laughs> being able to play that game. <laughs> One day, it's aspiration. One day. All right, Dan, and what are you up to these uh, days? Well, I've got a, I've got a couple of things. Um, yeah. So first, I have a couple of recommendations I'd like to yes. to give to you all, um, yes. particularly in regards to Starship Troopers. Yes. As I mentioned earlier, there are two books written, I think, kind of in response to Starship Troopers that I think are very worth checking out. Um, the nice. first one is The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. Um, it's quite Ooh. good. It has a very similar concept to Starship Troopers. It's about a guy serving in the uh, military in the future. 
um, who winds up being embroiled in this interstellar war, but one of the running plot points is due to the effects of time dilation. Every time he goes out on a deployment, he feels like he's out there for, you know, six months to a year or two, but by the time he gets back to human space, it's been like 20 years, and everyone he knows is dead Ooh. or either, you know, has experienced some severe uh, cultural changes. Um so it's a it's a really interesting book. It was written by a Vietnam War veteran, and so you can see Ooh. a lot of the influences of sort of his experiences. Because yeah. I think I think he unironically did like I think he went out in 1966 and came back in 1969. And it's one of those things wow. where the amount of cultural change that happened in the U.S. at that time is in like that, yeah, in three yeah. years, it's wild. Um, so that's uh, the first one I would recommend, "The Forever nice. War" by Joe Haldeman. And then nice. the second one that I really, really, really enjoyed is called "Armor" by John Stakely. Ooh. Does it and, have power armor? Ooh. Yes, <laughs> you bet. Uh, that one I think would would be a little more uh, a little more modern in terms of pacing. It is more or less exact same concept. Protagonist is a soldier in the infantry fighting against an insectoid species. These ones are called ants, not arachnids. Hey, but all right. It's really good. It's extremely grim. Um, and it's mostly just about sort of the psychological toll that is taken on the protagonist as he is deployed over and over again against this like unrelenting enemy. Um, in particular, there's a early passage that I really liked that's him talking about how he's he's preparing his suit for deployment. So he's outside of it looking at it and he just starts thinking of it as being a part of himself that is also separate. And when he's in combat, he starts dissociating into something he calls the engine. And that's Ooh. like him when he's in his pure survival instinct. So there's a bunch of really great passages about that. And about Dude, that's cool. And, like, and then the engine was in control and shit got crazy. Ah, shit got real. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Armor by John Stakely. Ooh. Really recommend that if you're a, a fan of military sci-fi. Um, really exciting. Uh, the audiobook that's is awesome. fantastic. The guy they got to, the guy they got to be the narrator I might have to put that talks kind of like this. <laughs> so he's like, he's <laughs> yes, great. I'm here for it. Uh, so that's, that's, That's awesome. the two books I'd like to recommend. Um, nice. I, uh, for those of you who don't know, I am a science fiction author. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I, at the time of recording, I've got a couple of things coming up. Um, I have a short story in a limited run anthology from Air and Nothingness Press called The Librarian. Um, it, nice. is, it is about a interdimensional traveling um, librarian type character, hence the title, who travels across the mm -hmm. cosmos solving problems with their knowledge of research. Um, it's very That's Doctor so cool. Who-ish. Um, I was like, so it's yeah. Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, but uh, but with power the biggest, armor. Yeah, no power, no power armor and in books. my life. Actually, <laughs> I wrote an earlier draft that involved power armor. But, um, so that's really fun. That one should be, should be coming out pretty soon. And then February 2023, I have a story... <sighs> at uh, Mysterion Online Magazine. It's the second time I've worked with them. Um, I wrote a short story called The Binding and the Ram that is kind of my take Ooh. on the psychic child super soldier genre. <laughs> nice. So, 
Nice. I love it. Well, congrats. That's exciting. Yeah, You've got you. some more stuff published. Woohoo. I was I'm glad you brought it up because I was about to be like, <laughs> and you've got stuff because I know because we talked about it. <laughs> Yay! Well, awesome. Those all sound awesome. We're gonna have to check out all pretty much all of them. Armor Armor and Forever were really good. Uh, I liked Armor a little bit. Armor better. sounds yeah, bitchin'. No, yeah, that sounds amazing. It's pretty heavy. Like they're it is yeah. unironically a book that I got choked up reading. You know? <laughs> like, oh, gosh. Okay, good yeah, to know. It's, it's great. It's yeah. good stuff. So not a recommended, like, right before bed read? You, yeah, maybe not. Of, <laughs> it's, it's more for when you're in a good mood. I think it was written early 80s. I'm not okay. positive. 80s, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, not, not recent. recent. It's, it's been out for a long time. Okay. I'd love to see it get Sweet. a film adaptation. Like, uh, Dude, there are so many books out there that I'm like, God, can you just make this into a film? But can you please do it yeah, well? Do a good job. That's like, please do it justice and it was do a, it. 84. Now. <laughs> 84. There you go. Ooh, 84. All right. Good to know. Sweet. All right, my lovelies. Well, thank you again so much for joining. I very much appreciate your chat. It was lovely. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on here. Of course. Awesome. Thank you again for your time. And thanks to our listeners. We will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. And remember, we'll keep fighting. And we'll win. Yes. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da.